Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi guys, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. And thank you for joining us once again. Welcome back to the Dead Parent Club podcast. Each week we're going to be talking about what it's like to be members of the Dead Parent Club and also chatting to brilliant guests about their grieving journeys. We'll also be hearing from people far more qualified than us and give you some top advice on navigating this new normal. So welcome to the Dead Parent Club. Now this week we are joined by journalist, presenter and producer Steve Bland the husband of the late Rachel Bland from the podcast You, Me and the Big C, which I'm sure a lot of you have listened to. Yeah, we're going to be talking to Steve about his grieving journey and how he supported his son through his grief. Welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, don't be silly. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so, so much for joining us, Steve. And like Kat says, it is a genuine pleasure to have you on. I guess the starting point is, if it's all right with you, I know you've shared your story a lot and it's helped a lot of people. But for anyone listening to this right now who doesn't know your story, can you please tell us? Yeah, well, how long have we got? Um, uh, so, yeah, so my uh, my wife, Rachel, uh, Rachel Bland, was a BBC uh, presenter. She worked at BBC Radio 5 Live and occasionally on the BBC News Channel. Um, and up here in the northwest of England, she was on uh, local telly and things as well. But 5 Live is really where people would know her best from. Uh, she read the news and she presented the Drive programme as well. And uh, in 2016, she got breast cancer. And uh, we've been married for... Only two or three years at the time, uh, we had a 14-month-old son. And that's the kind of start of of, of it all going a little mm. bit wrong. You know, for the next two years, we were in and out of hospital, uh, lots of different treatment, lots of operations, lots of surgery, um, and uh, nothing really seemed to work. And in, in, in September of 2018, uh, Rachel unfortunately died. Uh, from her yeah, triple negative breast cancer. And um, about a year before she died, she started a, a, a podcast at Five Live called You, Me and the Big C, which was, you know, which was really doing a similar thing to, you know, what you guys are trying to do with grief and, 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 and you know, that kind of thing. It was, it was breaking down the taboos. It was having the awkward conversations. It was making people going uh, through that journey, you know, uh, feel a bit less alone. And, you know, at the time... It, this is going back to you know 2017 or 2017 2018 at the time people weren't really talking about cancer in the way that they mm. did 
you look at now the kind of uh, what, uh, what we kind of call the cancer community on mm. Instagram and on social media, you know, it's massive. People are sharing their stories left, right and centre. Young people, young women particularly sharing their stories of of everything, you know, warts and all. But back then it wasn't really happening. And and, and Rachel and Deborah and Lauren, who, who she started the podcast with, you know, were kind of trailblazers in that in that respect. And uh, after she died, we were, you know, we were determined that the podcast would carry on. It was never really the plan that I would I would carry it on. But I did one with the girls uh, and, and it just kind of worked. And we, you know, we cracked on and, and it's been a, you know, it's been a massive, I mean, you guys will know it's, you know, being able to talk about it like this, you know, every week, you know, having you know, really honest conversations with amazing people, you know, you learn a lot, but you also, you also kind of process it yourself mm-hmm. a little bit as well. And, and it's become kind of my, you know, my therapy over the last two or three years is, uh, is uh, doing that podcast. So yeah, um, it's been nearly two and a half years now since she died. I've, I've kind of spent my time mm-hmm. talking about her all the time and, you know, and it's, and it's nothing that I've done. It's all what she did and the kind of the work she did and the legacy that she's left and, 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 the impact that she made on people um yeah that's the reason pe- uh, people want to talk to me so it's been a roller coaster over the last few years what was it like because obviously you said you had a 14 month old you know when rachel first got her diagnosis and that journey through her battle with cancer what was that like for you and for her um you know interesting to use the word battle she was a real i uh, did not like the word battle at all and um, she uh, she really didn't like it because I remember a piece that was written after after she died in one of the papers in the Guardian, I think it was, and it and it said, "Don't say that Rachel Bland lost her battle because that kind of gives the impression of this kind of injured soldier mm-hmm. trudging off the battlefield, having kind of done everything they could, but they lost, you know." And and to me, you know, she didn't lose anything. You know, we tried everything we possibly could. It was, you know, there was nothing that we could do. It was, you know, beyond our our control, and and um. You know, I was getting messages from people all, all over the world, from Brazil and from Germany and from the US and from literally all corners of the globe saying what an impact she'd had. And I just, I thought to myself, that's, you know, if that's, if that's losing anything, you know, I'll, I'll take that every day of the week. So, um, but yeah, sorry, going back to your question, it, it, it was, um, it was, it was a, it was a strange one. People uh, talk about that kind of you've been hit by a bus kind of moment when you told you had cancer. And the funny thing for, uh, for me, I, I didn't really feel that because I'm, I'm quite a, you know, kind of positive uh, kind of person. So my first thought was right, trying to get Rachel into kind of that positive frame of mind. You know, we'll map out the chemo and we'll just we'll say, right, we're starting around around about Christmas. We had, uh, we actually started in between Christmas and. In New Year, it was a really difficult time because she wanted to go um, uh, do some IVF before to preserve mm. her embryos uh, because obviously chemo uh, 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 can affect you know the chance of mm. having more kids. So uh, we did you know, two weeks before Christmas um, all the injections. Uh, seven o'clock on Boxing Day morning, harvesting wow. eggs in a clinic wow. in Manchester, and then three days later uh, she started chemo and. I was just all about, you know, uh, 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 thinking about the things that we could affect, you know, thinking about um, uh, keeping her positive, uh, keeping her like looking forward. You know, we mapped out, right, we're going to have this chemo, then some surgery and then and then this. And then, you know, by, say, July, August time, we'll be done. And that hopefully mm-hmm. will be the end of it. And that's that's very much kind of how I was thinking. And, and I can remember saying to her, um, 
you know, we'll go into hospital, have your treatment, and in between treatments, we won't even talk about it. You know, you know, we won't let uh, cancer dominate our lives at all. It won't, and you know, we can't let that happen. But actually, the reality is a lot different to that. You know, you know, within a couple of weeks, you realise that it invades every little crevice of your life, and it takes over everything. And and it and it certainly didn't go the way that we we planned. And um, yeah, there began the kind of yeah. I was going to say roller coaster. Actually, there weren't really many ups. It was kind of just one continuous, you know, downward spiral, really. But but um, yeah, mm. there it was. At what point did she decide to start the podcast? Because I think that must have been a really big turning point in a way. Because at that point, she's not shying from it at all, and she is opening herself up to some really big life questions regularly yeah she started a blog uh, before I think it was a sort of journalist in her that kind of thought mm. you know how best how best can I communicate this because she's getting asked you know daily by people what's going on how's your treatment going you know what's what's happening and I think it, it uh, first of all the blog was her was her kind of way of you not having to answer questions every day she just point people to the that's blog such a good idea. <laughs> yeah whether yeah. it be social media or whatever you know to post every week mm. and yeah, that's the update and I think you know that kind of gave her the you know the realization that actually people were you know were interested in her story and we started talking uh, about the podcast actually uh, the two of us because at the time I worked at Five Live I was a producer at Five Live and, and so I kind of had that that hat on a little bit and she had the presenting side on and match made in heaven <laughs> Yeah, we just kind yeah. of thought, you know, what could we do? And 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 we kind of mapped out, you know, an idea. And, and it was almost for as much for her as it was for anybody else, because it was, you know, that was her way of of, of uh, processing it. When you're going to Rachel, when she was going, you know, through it all, it was very easy to get, you know, quite doom and gloom, quite down in the dumps when things weren't going well. And actually when she talked about it on the podcast or, or in a blog, all of a sudden it made her kind of, you know, think about the two sides and think about, you know, it wasn't all doom and gloom. She had to present, you know, a real mm-hmm. picture, but also she had to, you know, she had to kind of think about um, how it might go positively as well as how it might go negatively. And it kind of forced her to, you know, rationalise it a little bit in that way. So it was, um, yeah, definitely as much for her as it was anybody else. And I think Five Live took a little bit of time to warm to it. Um uh, John O'Wall, the former uh, controller, he he, you know, he liked the idea, but I don't think he he was totally sold on it because uh, people just didn't talk about cancer back then. It wasn't, you know, say back then it wasn't even that long ago, but there wasn't there weren't really many podcasts or you know people would uh, didn't talk about it. So it took a bit of persuasion, uh, but then yeah, as soon as they started recording with Lauren and Deborah, uh, it was you know they just got on so well, and it just like the interest and the the profile and the numbers were just going you know uh, through the roof and it did very quickly they found that a lot of people going through cancer themselves you know needed you know needed that in their lives to kind of uh, make them feel a bit less alone Mm. and again it's it's not just the people that are going through cancer but also the people around them like yourself and like how like me and Emma have experienced you know having a parent going through that and I think it it must just provide so much support. Again, it's kind of like how what this podcast does is just showing people that they're not alone in what they're going through. Yeah. And that is just invaluable, isn't it? And I just, the same as what you said before, really resonated with me about how the like cancer community on Instagram has blown up. And that is where we're seeing the power of social media so much. And I think it must 
feel amazing for you to know that she has created such a lasting legacy like for goodness knows how long like this will be a yeah. way to keep her alive oh it's massive i actually had a message uh, today from someone i get it uh, quite regularly just uh, this lady today just messaged me and say uh, 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 rachel was a big fan of the killers and this lady who i've no idea who she is she just messaged me and said uh, mr brightside came on on a car radio and she thought of rachel and it made her kind of think oh. of all the you know the impact that she made on her life so you know two and a half years on i'm still getting stuff like that and and it's um yeah, it's, it's fairly remarkable really i, I, I just kind of wish that she'd been mm. around to see it because it was i mean she yeah she recorded probably only only 14 or 15 and since and since she died we've gone on to make another probably 50 or 60 more mm. episodes and and um you know she started it and and she you know she is entirely the brains behind it and you know we still try and make it in the same way that she wanted it to be and yeah but she's not mm. yeah you know, uh, not seeing the the impact um she makes and it and it makes as well with that podcast i think it's the the rawness and the realness of it and you know like you say you're all so open and honest on it i think that is what makes it such it sounds weird saying this but good listening because you're like wow yeah. these people they're so outspoken they they're talking so openly about this but obviously you know between yourself and rachel you will have had your own conversations and your own ways of dealing with things. And like you say, you had your little boy, Freddie. How did you manage that? What was that like? And what did you tell him? And what have you told him since? Between us, you know, we were always really open. I mean, to the point of, of, of like, too open. Like, like <laughs> before she died, she wrote a book. And, and, you know, that, you know, that was... The one that's too Freddie. Yeah, for Freddie, it's called. And this is like, you know, seven months before she died and she's already writing mm -hmm. a book to her son from beyond the grave kind of thing. You know, if that's not enough to make you have some pretty honest conversations with yourself mm -hmm. and the people around you, I don't know what is. You know, we, we'd we sit in bed in an evening, I'd I'd read a chapter and just be like, I, am I really mm -hmm. doing this? Am I really reading, you know, my wife's book that she's that she's writing for our son? It's it's It was... It was pretty difficult and uh, but you know we had some really tough conversations and I'm really glad that we did because you know this is something this is what I've been banging on about for the last couple of years this is you know you guys know because you talk about it every week your death is going to happen to all of us you know obviously it goes without saying that it's heartbreaking when someone dies but I just we had so many conversations before she died that have made it an awful lot easier mm -hmm. for me um, since she died an awful lot easier for me to know what she wanted for her funeral, what she wanted me to do with Freddie, you know, down to kind of how she liked his hair to be. And, and like, just there was never a conversation that, you know, we were afraid to have. I think a lot of people, they just, you know, put their heads in the sand. And I, and I understand yeah. that because it's difficult and it's a, you know, this is, this is very hard stuff to talk about. And, and I understand a lot of it is kind of, you know, staring our kind of mortality in the face, isn't it? And, and we don't really like to do that, but, you know the less we talk about it the more taboo it is and actually for Rachel she found it hard to talk about it to other people because they would just shut her down when she tried talking about it she was so open you know she'd talk about the fact that she was going to die people are like you know, oh you, no people were like oh <laughs> you know what do I say I don't know how to talk about mm -hmm. this so they just shut it down mm. and it used to really frustrate her she's like I mean her mum you know bless her Rachel's mum is a wonderful lady and I can fully understand her you know, struggling to come to terms with the fact that her daughter was, you know, was dying. And at the time, we didn't really know where, you know, whether it was going to be 
you know, a month or six months yeah. or two years, but we knew it was coming. And I can remember Rachel getting really angry with her, just saying like, you know, mum, mum, just let me talk about it. I'm going to die. You know, you have to accept it. And, and, and it was very difficult for her to accept. And I totally understand that, you know, I totally get that. But, but, but for Rachel, it was very difficult. So as hard as it was for me, I, I tried to, you know, engage with that as much as I could and, 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 you know, have those honest conversations. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm super glad that I did because it's, it's made everything easier, mm. easier since. I think if you, you know, if you can have conversations like that, like I said at the start, we had uh, nearly two years before she died while she's on treatment. You know, you, you actually start the grieving process a lot earlier than the the moment someone takes their last breath. You know, it starts it starts well before that. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, I think that's all down to how how open she was and, and, and how open uh, she forced us to be. And that's kind of how I've I've tried to be with Freddie as well. You know, we, you know, he was 14 months old when she was diagnosed. So, you know, there's only so much of a 14 month old uh, uh, toddler can get his head around. But she, I mean, he knew that she was ill. He knew that, um, you know, he didn't really understand cancer and that kind of thing. But we didn't really hide anything from him. We, I know people that um, when they've had their treatment for cancer uh, because they've lost their hair or something, they've gone and stayed with a friend uh, for two days while they've been ill and then they come back home you know so the kids uh, didn't know anything at all mm. about it yeah I mean we were never like that we just uh sort of told him I mean like I say 14 months you know you can't really explain it to them but when she died I was I was trying to think like the best way to do it and like my I mean, my first reaction was to kind of you know uh, fluff it up a bit you know mummy's gone to live with Jesus or mummy's gone to live in the stars or something like that and I read something it's, it's a natural instinct I think isn't it to, you, you it want, is, you want yeah. to protect your child from it is it is but actually the reality is that uh, all you're doing is you're you're telling them that they they might come back mm. or even worse than that you're telling them. them that there's a reason why they've gone that they've they've left us they've gone yeah. of their own choice and and I spoke to somebody from uh, Winston's Wish mm. uh, charity and uh and she just said you just got to be really honest you don't want to leave any ambiguity in there so after she died and she died in the middle of the night in the early hours and and the next morning i took freddie into our bedroom and he'd known that she had been had been there and been sick you know and i took him in and i said mummy you know mummy died last night and and he burst into tears and then ran off and played with his toys you know it, it, it was about a week before his third birthday um yeah. uh, but it's um wow. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty brutal conversation to have to have with a, a boy of, of that. Well, of, I mean, any age really, isn't mm. it? It's, uh, but I, I I just didn't want him to, you know, I wanted to get it out of the way, just rip the plaster off, you know, just didn't want to have any any ambiguity there. And, and uh, I think it's the same for anyone. Like, is one of the things that was one of my bugbears is like the the phrase is like oh they've they've lost their parent yeah. or something and it's funny because yeah, I, I understand it and I and and I don't get an, annoyed about it per se but it is that kind of I'm more annoyed that people feel yeah. like they have to soften it when in reality death is brutal like death is not soft it's not nice like it's a really hard thing and I think we kind of soften it so much that we're so yeah. ill prepared for it um and it's it's scary and kids are resilient. 
they're massively resilient massively resilient and, and he surprised me every day since he died you know he's he's been he talks about it all all the time I love that. you know he and and he talks about it in he's it's pretty clever freddie he 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 quickly realized that he gets out of trouble if he <laughs> If he says, I'm just really upset because mummy died. So he'll be, oh, he'll be, oh. he'll be being like a little, you know, a little rat bag mm. of a, of a kid, you know, misbehaving and I'll be getting cross at him and he'll say, oh, daddy, but I just really miss mummy. Mm. He knows that gets him out of trouble a little bit, but. So Heartstrings. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, not anymore. You'd like, it's, it's lost his, <laughs> it's lost the impact. That. It's totally lost it's the like impact. The, but the boy no, that cried wolf now, isn't it? Like. Oh, massively. Yeah. <laughs> You're so right, though, about all the language, you know, passed away and, mm. and you've lost your pet. Like, you know, all that kind of stuff is because we don't want to talk about it. Mm. And and um don't know if you guys have come across Catherine Mannix. Uh, she was a palliative care uh, consultant. Uh, she's written a book called With the End in Mind. And it's it's a, it's an amazing book all about understanding death. And I mention that every time I'm on a podcast or on telly or radio or anything, because it's just... If if you're, you know, in this situation dealing with these things, it is just it is it's just the best book, and she's the best person to go to, or you know, follow her on Instagram, follow her on Twitter, because in the last week of Rachel's uh, Rachel's life, I was texting her like every day, you know, what's going to happen next, you know, what's you know what's going to happen to Rachel, yeah. you know, what should I do, how can I help, and I was just in touch with her all the time, and and um, you know, but I think it's it's difficult to do because we do like to put our heads in the sand, don't we, and and pretend it's not happening but yeah. unfortunately it's the one it's the one guarantee of life isn't it yeah it's a universal inevitability and i know even uh cat the podcast got some criticism <laughs> didn't it for the name because of the brutality of it of being called the dead parent club well unfortunately it's <laughs> factual it's... it's literally it does what it says on the tin you know that, that you don't need to dress up death because death is what it is and it's going to happen to all of us. I'm interested, Stephen, knowing how you navigated grief, not just your own grief, but Freddie's grief after that. You know, you mentioned then that he doesn't get away with, you know, playing the I'm missing mummy card now. But did that change as time's gone on? How how did you cope with that? And also, how did you cope with then being his sole carer? It was something that, I mean... It's the sort of thing you can't really prepare for. I, I I didn't really know what I was doing, and I still probably don't. <laughs> I'm just kind of making it up as I go along to a degree. None of us do, do we? <laughs> Winging it, aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, who knows how to prepare for, mm. you know, for what we had to go through, and you know what so many people have to go through. You know, who 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 on earth can know what to do there? So I was fortunate enough that I didn't have to work for a little bit. Or for a, a year or two, so I could take you know a bit of time off just to you know take time for me, but also take time to be around for him all the time. That's amazing. I mean, I'm still probably waiting for it all to come out of him, to be honest, uh, mm. to a degree, because he's he's only five now. It'll be six in September. You know, when they're two, three, four, they're not. You know, they they're yeah. resilient, but they're resilient because they don't really get it. You know, they can accept stuff because they don't really get it. Whereas I I talk a lot to um. Uh, Simon Thomas, you know, a former um, Sky Sports presenter. His his wife Gemma died about a year before Rachel, and his his little boy Ethan's a little bit older than Freddie. He was he was I think he was nine or ten when Gemma died, and I think that was you know, that was a really hard age. I think because you 
you know you're at that age where you you have a lot of questions mm -hmm. and you sort of understand it uh, to a degree but you probably don't you know can't quite get your head around it all so Freddie was at a really good age in a way in that he was able to just accept it you know and, and just in a kind of a childlike kind of way uh, but the flip side was quite heartbreaking for Rachel and it's why she wrote the book because mm -hmm. you know he wasn't going to have his own memories of her that always kind of ate away at her you know she yeah. that's probably the thing that upset her the most the fact that he I mean you know in 20 years time his memories will come from mm -hmm. uh, clips in the telly and and, uh, and audio clips and and the book and stuff and we're lucky we've got you know we've, um, we're lucky we've got all those you know all those things for him but it's um yeah it's pretty heartbreaking and and, and but like I say you know, for him now, and for me, I guess as well, it's it was a blessing that he was he was so young because it has you know, made life a little bit easier, I think. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I've spoken to a lot of people whose parents died when they were really young and they, they've come onto the podcast in their 20s and they've said, this is the first time or this is, that I have ever spoken about mm. my parent in depth. And like this person could have lost their mum or their dad when they were four, five and not spoken about them since. And I think the beautiful thing about his situation is that you are never going to be mm. afraid of bringing her up and he's got all of this, all of, all of these resources available to him at his, at his fingertips. But is there anything in particular that you guys do, say like on the year anniversary or on a birthday or anything to kind of make space for those conversations? Because in day-to-day -day life, it can, be, it can be quite hard to kind of make room for it. But on those kind of milestones you kind of feel that that need to kind of make a space where you can think about them um for me anniversaries are a funny one we had our wedding anniversary five days after she died and then freddie's birthday and then it was it would have been her her birthday in january it, it, and in between that we had christmas you know there were Big loads of anniversaries of loads of like milestones yeah. and yeah 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 and, and 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 i kind of approached them all kind of the same i i just can't i think we can get like 
we can get very uh, worried about these things ahead of the time because we yeah. we have this like projection yeah. of what we think they're going to be like. They're always a lot worse than they actually are. Yeah. Like, the run up to them well, is so yeah, bad. The run up is a lot worse. And that's <laughs> yeah. because we're kind of expecting them to be really bad. And I, yeah. I really tried the whole, that's what I've tried to do the whole whole way is not, not decide how I was going to feel on any given day. You know, you try and just be the way you are. And, and I found that in the days after she died that I was expecting, I was expecting to be curled up in a ball, you know, unable mm-hmm. to function for weeks. And actually the day after she died, um, well, actually the day the day she died, Five Live uh, had like, they basically just dedicated the whole day to her. Like they just did, they just had, they had people on all day. They played clips, they did everything. And we sat in the garden laughing, You're laughing and, and smiling. And and it wasn't at all how I thought I would feel. And, and yeah. That, that, that kind of like really affected me because I was like thinking, you know, am I allowed to be, am I allowed to be laughing and smiling the day after my wife's died? But actually you are, aren't you? And, and, and it's, and it's really important. And I, and I say this to Freddie now, and I say this to anybody who'll listen, you just got to feel the way that you feel and be okay feeling that way. And I think uh, when it comes to anniversaries and, and, and milestones, I don't, you know, I miss a hundred percent all the time every day <laughs> you don't miss it anymore on those days mm. you know it doesn't go to 120 percent because it can't you know 100 percent is mm. the highest so you know i don't miss her anymore on those days so you just try and you know use those days as a as a you know excuse to kind of celebrate excuse to uh you know think of the good times to raise a glass to you know do some fun things and uh, yeah, that's what we always try and do as someone who has very little of my my mum because in 2008 when mum died like you know the emergence of video recordings on your mobile phone if you could do it it was very grainy and there just wasn't the thing you just didn't really have it um I wish I wish I had some of those things that you had like you know even the ability to be able to hear Rachel's voice or see the way she moves Mm. it's like her movements and stuff I'd I was 18 when my mum passed away and yet weirdly I struggle with my memories of her and a part yeah. of that, I think, is because I don't have that reminder. I don't have anything but written birthday cards or the occasional letter or note she'd written me as a reminder. So almost, weirdly, you're left forming another mum in your mind. Does that make sense? I know that might sound a bit weird. But... No, 100%. <laughs> then you're not sure if those memories are actual memories or if, if they're pictures or, exactly. or someone's told you something. And No, no, we're so lucky. We're so lucky. I've said that, you know, a lot of times. And we've got, you know, all the podcasts. We've got all the Five Live clips we've got you know a ton of you know stuff on social media we've got you know her phone is just completely full of videos and <laughs> yeah we've got you know loads and loads and loads of stuff so we do watch it from time to time freddie and i will you know we'll put something on or put a clip on and uh, we'll talk about her or, or we, he's he's started to kind of want to get into her book a little bit you know her idea was that he'd read it when he was a little bit older perhaps in his teens you know early teens or something but well, there's a picture of when she had a car crash when she was in her in her late teens, and she was like hurled at the back of a mini, and she has her face is all bashed up, and oh, wow. and she's got like a bandage around her head and, and stuff, and uh, <laughs> and for some reason he always says, "Can we see that picture of my mum in the car crash?" <laughs> I don't really understand what that is. There's something kids are so funny. Yeah, you know, psychological kind of you know study go you could do into yeah. that, but I don't know what's going on there. But <laughs> and since you know Steve. You, am I right in thinking you have a partner now? Mm. How has that been for you? Because the one conversation I've never really been able to have, I've never been able to have a conversation with somebody who's lost a partner and 
grieved and continues to grieve and has found a new partner. I have never, ever spoken to and never had. Well, well, here we are. I can I can make your dream come true. You you talk to <laughs> talk to that Just person. Like that. <laughs> it's um it, it's something that I I was always fairly sure that I would do. That's not that I wanted to move on or anything like that, you know. But I was just very, I was just very determined that I would have, you know, a, a, an enjoyable life, and I would. I was only when Rachel died. I was thirty-eight. I was thirty-eight. I'm forty now, and um, and you know, I mean, it, how depressing would it be if you decided that at thirty-eight you you're done with? <laughs> Even before she died, we had conversations about it, and 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 she was very adamant. You know, she wanted Freddie to have you know mother figure in his life. Uh, she wanted me to be happy. Uh, that wasn't saying her. Uh, that wasn't her saying. You know, definitely go off and do this. But it was like whatever, make you know whatever uh, way you you know you find to be happy. And um, and I think it's a you know it's very individual. It's not it's not for everyone. And I know people who you know twenty years after their partners died, they've still got the wedding ring or or something. And you know that's absolutely fine. And 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 if that's what they want to do that's absolutely fine i was i was never going to be like that you know my wedding ring uh, uh went into a safe about six months after rachel died i mean it sounds brutal but we weren't married anymore you know we weren't was that quite a momentous moment when you took it off because i remember i i would i would look at my dad's mm. hands a lot after my mum died and it and i would always look and i'd always make a note as to whether it was there or not I know it's kind of had this thing inside where I was like, when he takes it off, that's when he's kind of ready to be not a married man anymore. Because technically he he mm. wasn't. Um it's like was that was that quite momentous for you? Yeah, it was, it was. It definitely was. But I think it was I'd been kind of on me and ahhing about it and I I'd noticed that Simon had taken his off at a kind of similar time to where I was, not a similar time, mm. but a similar time after. Gemma had died compared to Rachel and I messaged him actually he said whatever you do don't put anything on social media because I think he you know he's he's always had a bit of stick for his um you know the relationship that he's in and and and, uh I think a lot of people Mm. just don't understand it they just don't understand how you can I've had it as well you know when first put something on on social media about Amy um one of the newspapers uh put um uh, the headline was uh, something like um, Rachel's husband uh, uh, moves on just or like oh. back on the market just what and the word just I, I emailed him I was like come on you know that's telling your readers that like, they should have a problem with this you know there should be you know, there's something wrong with this because yeah. to me there wasn't a problem with it whether it was you know, six months after or six years after it's you know we're all individual aren't we and we all and it doesn't and it doesn't mean I I love or loved Rachel any any less. It doesn't mean I miss her any less. It just means that you accept that, you know, there's a life to live and there's fun to be had and there's a whole world out there to explore and to see. And, you know, the worst the worst thing I could do for Rachel is to, you know, pack up and and give up because the reality is that I'm I'm the lucky one of the two of us. You know, I'm I'm the one who gets to carry on and enjoy life. 
It's true. There is an element of that. You know, Rachel passed away and then it's like you say, it's pure personal preference, but you would kind of then be resigning yourself to a lifetime just waiting for your death then. Yeah. I mean, that's never going to happen. And that's important actually with, with Amy, my partner now, is that I'm determined for it not to be a second rate version. It's hard for her because there's Freddie and there's Rachel was so high profile and so, you know, so loved and, and, and so revered and it, mm. it is difficult for her. It's a lot of people focus on, you know, how hard it is for the person who's, if the widow or the widower, but actually it's really difficult to date a widow or or a widower. You know, it's really difficult. And, and, and I know it's not been easy for her. And, um, um, I always say to her, this isn't like, this isn't my second prize. This isn't, you know, this is going to be, you know, great in of itself. You know, this is a, a new thing that's going to, you know, that's exciting and it's, and it's, you know, definitely it's not. It's a love all of its own. It's another main course. It's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not just a dessert. It's another main course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not a not a second class version of of life. You're not settling for anything because um, of what happened. It's uh, yeah. It's important to look at it that way. I think. Do you feel, Steve, that this has completely transformed your approach to life? Do you think your approach to life would have been completely different if? Rachel hadn't been diagnosed if she hadn't have died I think it I think it has to be doesn't it and actually the the shame is that it takes something like this mm. to change your outlook on yeah. life isn't it yeah you know the shame is that actually it takes this kind of you know monumental heartbreaking uh, event uh, to actually make you realize that all those old cliches are true that your life is so precious and you know, it's not money and it's not possessions and it's not all that kind of thing that's important. It's in its people and its experiences and it's and it's family and friends and all that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, I, I I hope I am a little bit different. I hope it has had that effect because it should do, shouldn't yeah. it? It should it should make you appreciate things a little bit more. It should make you less, you know, liable to get wound up over <laughs> little things that don't really matter. I mean, for some people, it might not have that, that effect, but I I would suspect the majority of people you know would be changed by it it was one of the biggest things that i learned from doing this podcast was that i never realized how positive the conversations were actually going to be yeah um when i first started it i kind of thought oh you know this might end up being a bit negative yeah. a bit depressing yeah. like oh they're like and people hear about it and they're like oh god like that sounds really depressing but the conversations that you have are so positive and so uplifting because people are changed by what happens yeah. to them and 95% of the time it may be not at first but with perspective and over time it people change positively that I know from my point of view that I much prefer the person that I am now to the person that I was before my mum died and yeah that has a bit to do with growing up with age but also it gave me perspective like I'm not as, as like selfish <laughs> as I was before and <laughs> yeah. I love people so much more than I did before I value love so much more than I did so yeah, I think it, it is. It's one of those kind of really cruel double-edged sword. But yeah, yeah, you got to take the positives out of it, haven't you? You have to, you have to try and salvage, you know, whatever you can from this car crash that's happened in front of you, don't you? You have to, you can salvage like the way that uh, you react to it and kind of how it affects you and how you are with people and how you don't worry too much if you know. I mean, Freddie is is a pretty messy kid, you know. Hurricane <laughs> Freddie sweeps in, and I think if I'd have been, 
<laughs> you know, if I'd have been looking at the mess that he leaves, you know, five years ago, I probably would have been would have been a bit more bothered by it. But now you just say, mm. oh, mm. whatever. Well, it's not a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful mess. Beautiful mess. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go so far as that, but but it's just you're just like stuff like I just don't. It doesn't matter, does it? You know, it's it's just it just doesn't matter, and and you know, it makes you realise you know what is important and how lucky we, you know we are to be healthy and happy and. Uh, you know, Rachel would have given her her right leg to you know, see Freddie grow up, and I get to do that. So how can I not be? How can I not be happy about that? Yeah. Can you share with us, please, a favourite memory of Rachel, or and just tell us about her? You know, there is so much that the world knows about Rachel because we all felt like we knew her because yeah. of everything she did while she was alive. But can you share with us, Rachel, to you? Oh wow, yeah. Um, but I first met Rachel. I knew her from the Five Live office. I didn't actually know her, but I knew I knew of her because we worked in the same office. And you know, she was quite glamorous, and she was on the telly from time to time. And she did. I mean, at that time, she did quite a lot of telly. So, <laughs> you know, very aware of who she was. And and um, you know, she came across like a little bit like um, aloof because she. But actually, realised uh, when you get to know her, she actually wasn't. You know, wasn't that confident and and um as as you know a lot of people in telly and radio aren't aren't half as confident as you think they are and and actually when Rachel one of the people that when you get under the skin you know she was like she was warm and she was kind and she was funny and she was um you know quite annoying at times could be like really really <laughs> really 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 stubborn you know liked her own way um but you know it worked I mean it you know, we uh, we got engaged fairly soon after we met, probably only about a year after we met. Um, like three weeks after we met, I found this out only about a year after we'd uh, got married, but about th- three weeks after we met, she bet this friend of ours that we call Jaeger Ben, because he loved Jaegermeister. Uh, she bet Jaeger Ben four bottles of Jaegermeister that we'd get married <laughs> by the time the year was out. I mean, we'd only been together for a few weeks. It. And... Um, Wow. And she was right. I mean, we, yeah, we got married just over a year after we met. Um, and yeah, the, the wedding was, wedding was crazy big. You know, she was one of those girls who, who just had it all, all mapped out from when they were a kid, you know, just had, mm. had all the, you know, the moniker from friends binders <laughs> and all that kind of thing. You know, they all came out and, 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 you know, we, we'd argue over like what color the covers for the chairs had to be and like, because it all had to be absolutely perfect. Um, I've got a million memories of her. You know, she was just, uh, yeah, she was just wonderful. But I guess like one of the, you know, one of the happiest or one of the most kind of vivid would be, you know, when Freddie was born. Um, I think by her own admission, she probably, you know, might not have expected her, you know, her to sort of take to being a mum so easily and so seamlessly, but. He was born by a cesarean because he was breech. He just wouldn't wouldn't turn, and and it, it ended up being a planned cesarean. And and literally from the moment that he was placed in her arms, she just knew what to do. Like she was just like just completely devoted to him. Just it it, 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 it was just yeah, it was just amazing to see mm. you know, to see this uh, this person that uh, uh, like I said, you probably wouldn't have, have imagined that she would have you know all those all those kind of skills but you know but just as soon as he was born that was it like she was just like a duck to water and um 
and she was just uh, she just never had you know um uh, could never have too much time for him she was just always you know there for him always playing with him i've got these these beautiful videos of them just doing painting together and it's a five minute video i don't know why it, it was rachel's mum was videoing i don't know why she let it run for five minutes but it's five minutes of them just sat at a table painting together just, <laughs> just doing you know doing nothing really but just chatting together and painting oh, i love that and it's it's just a beautiful video and it's so special and it's mm. and it's just that kind of thing that that you know when you think back it's it's not um the big moments it's almost like the moments when you were doing nothing that's kind of what you miss most the you know you miss someone to uh, to do nothing with you know it's those it's those like little things that you um that you miss so yeah you know that video of her painting is is just uh it's just yeah it's just beautiful so yeah we've got plenty to remember and 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 plenty to be thankful for and, and freddie and i are, are very lucky so um yeah she was wonderful steve thank you thank you so much thank for sharing you. your story with us thank oh, it's you it's a pleasure Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on the Dead Parent Club podcast. Remember, you can reach out if you want to talk to us or if you've got any suggestions on areas that you'd like us to cover in the future. You can email us at hello at deadparentclub.co.uk or find us on Instagram at deadparentclubpodcast and we're on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.